Hey there, this is Varun Raja. Welcome to Dating Mechanics on Girls Chase, where we get girls chasing you. Here on Dating Mechanics, we bring you incredible content from the best minds in the industry. And we leave you with fun, actionable ideas you can go out there and use with girls today. Last time I interviewed Rwando of New York City's Gotham Dating Club, we presented intuition and empathy as the most fluid way to be with women, reading their emotions and sitting comfortably in presence. I try some of his tools to connect with women's emotions while around them. I've since found it way easier to pace a reality than before, which was also far more enjoyable for both of us. The rules fell back, and for once I actually felt comfortable in my own skin, in my desire, with several women I know. This time I interviewed Daka Guy, a New York City-based advanced certified Tantra educator in a wide range of modalities of touch and sensuality. He offers Tantra sessions in New York and around the world, teaching workshops on relationships, polarity, and various sensuality practices. He even describes himself as a man who adores and loves women since a young age, which makes it even more interesting when I learn that women pay him to teach them better relationships, sex, and being comfortable with their own desires. He left the professional corporate world to successfully pursue a path in healing and loving women, and getting paid for it. I ran into Daka at a Tantra workshop in New York City, and personally witnessed his masculine presence with a variety of different women. I was awed with his openness, love, and vulnerability, which is why I wanted to hear even more from him. Most of us today don't really know what we want most of the time. I know that sounds like rubbish in a way. How could I question what a person wants? What you want, especially since I don't even know you. Well, hear me out for a second. Some ancient cultures thousands of years ago knew the value of harmony within one's body, as well as harmony between a man and a woman, and the profound pleasures this could bring within a human being. We've cast this aside in modern society for a focused on merit-based achievement, chasing ideas such as monogamy and marriage without fully appreciating or even attempting to discover what else could possibly exist out there in the world. Most people barely make time to discover themselves. We have ideas and preferences about what we want that are socialized into us. But by failing to discover our own desires, people inevitably present masks into the world, then can't understand why there's so much unhappiness by following the beaten path. At least in the United States, our divorce rate is pretty high, somewhere around 50%, sometimes even more in some studies. And even some folk who have been married for many years report that they're not satisfied. Henceforth, enjoy my discussion with Daka Guy on authenticity, desire versus preference, and containers for relationships, tantra, and tantric sex. At the end of the show, we'll reveal how you can get in touch with Daka Guy for coaching and workshops to learn even more about tantra and self-discovery. Daka Guy, welcome to Dating Mechanics. Varun, my man, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you here. It's been a really long time and such a coincidence I ran into you this past weekend at a Tantra workshop of all things, which I had no idea you were actually a certified Tantra educator at this time. Indeed. Wow, that's an amazing, amazing skill. You know, a lot of people I feel have this desire to learn alternative ways of expressing our sexuality. I mean, like BDSM is one example, for instance, mm -hmm. and then Tantra and this whole other path of spirituality and sexuality is another way. I think it's really fascinating because it's something that we read books like the Kama Sutra or we study ancient traditions and ancient cultures and we realize they actually blended sexuality with spirit. 
and with their lifestyle. Modern society doesn't really see it that way anymore, and yet there's still some merit to the old way. A lot of merit, actually, to the old way. I agree with you, and I think one of the key things that illustrates that is that we're actually referring to this as an alternative thing, when really I think this is the most natural way that people should be connecting with each other. So that's a perfect example of the conditioning that we all sort of grow up under. Yeah, it's so true, actually, especially you put it in that light. We see human connection and sexuality is like this other desire. A lot of times in, in Western society, also, we're ashamed for wanting those and wanting to you know, connect those. And yet people have been practicing these for centuries or even like millennia. Yeah. Ways of being together, men and women together in harmony and unity and just enjoying each other and experiencing tons of pleasure in the process. Mm -hmm. How did you discover this in yourself? Well, I've always been very interested in sexuality. I've always been a very sensual person and very connected to my body and, and have always sort of experimented. Like I've always been a seeker on my own in this realm and have been very yeah. interested in it. I've also been very lucky that some of my early girlfriends were also seekers in this realm. So we were able to explore things together. How did your early girlfriend shape this in you? You know, I'm thinking of a couple of women in particular. You know, I had one girlfriend from the age of, I want to say maybe 20 to 24 or something like that. And she was very into sexuality and her body and very open. And it was a really beautiful relationship for me to be with a woman who wanted to explore. And so we explored, you know, and we didn't like take any classes that I remember. But, you know, we were very open towards each other. And that was an area where we totally connected. Hmm. Interesting. And you connected because you were both seeking answers to express your sexuality in a very deep way. You know, I'm not really sure, you know, I mean, for me, you know, I had the experience where when I was with her, it felt like home. Oh, okay. It's not very often that you meet someone who you feel that way with, but she was very open with her own sexuality. And, and actually, we started out as just, um, believe it or not, we were co-workers and we met and we had an attraction so we started to sneak off and rent hotel rooms and spend time together just having sex. And then it kind of developed into a relationship from there. Wow. Like an exclusive relationship? Or were you also seeing other women at the same time? We had an exclusive relationship for about two and a half years. So I would say that we dated for two and a half years. But she would say that we dated, we were monogamous for two and a half years. And then we were kind of in an open relationship for a year and a half. Because the sex was so wonderful and so enjoyable that uh, even when we weren't in a relationship, you know, after a certain period of time, we would continue to get together physically. Which was the genesis of the relationship as well. Which was uh, the genesis? How do you mean the genesis? So when we started out, we were just having sex. Yeah, And then we okay. developed into a relationship, and then it went back to us just having sex. And actually, that was, um, and we're still friends to this day. She's one of my dearest friends. That's amazing. I always love hearing stories like that, you know, people that stay connected deep into age. And it's just goes to show how powerful that attraction and, and romance and connection between men and women can possibly be. That's what I think is the new happy ending and the new happily ever after is that, you know, it used to be like, you know, I'm going back to the 50s now. It was, you know, you were married and that was it. That was your lifelong partner. And divorce was considered like sacrilege. Oh, you would never get a divorce. Even if you're unhappy, like you have to stay with this person for life. But I think the new happily ever after is that even if you move on, you have a you know, they refer to as a conscious up uncoupling and you stay friends and, and you continue to enrich each other's lives, even if you're not going to be lifelong partners. You know, it's not possible with everybody or in, in every relationship. But I think that's a really beautiful outcome. 
You know, we tend to, in our society, think of like when you have a breakup, people are like, oh, why did you break up? Like what went wrong? Like we tend to think of any relationship that doesn't end in marriage as a failure. And I think that is a failure in our own perspectives of what a relationship is and what it should be and what it could be. And puts a very limited and frankly negative scope on what relationships can be. I completely agree. In fact, it creates this box of uh, not only expectations, but also extreme disappointment when things don't work out the way that we envisioned them. It's like we're living in this fairy tale, almost, that if you don't get married and it doesn't last for your whole life, then you're, some people could see it like you've completely failed in your mission. And yet, there are people that don't subscribe to that, like yourself, and quite a few people that I know who have seen a lot of satisfaction from just enjoying each other's company as long as you're in relationship with each other. And fostering this relationship, whether it ends in marriage or not, is kind of a mute point. Yeah. And frankly, you know, let's be fair, according to the statistics, I mean, you just referred to it as ends in marriage, and really it ends in divorce. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was funny, I was having this debate with some of my friends recently. Well, they were debating, I was kind of just listening in, but the question basically was, at what point is marriage seen as a success? You know, and this is something always that I've wondered too, like, are, is it a success if you're married for your whole life? Or is it a success, you know, what defines success in marriage? And I guess we concluded that we're not really sure what it actually means, unless you can prove that you've been together for your whole life. And then that's, you know, a very, very long process. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting, we hear stories like when somebody is on a talk show and they're like, how long have you been married? And, and they're like, 53 years, like everybody applauds. And I think, you know, it's great if you can keep it together for 53 years, you know, but what if you're miserable? Should we really be applauding longevity if it sucks? And if you're miserable, you know, to me, and I think you kind of touched on this perfectly when you said, what is it that defines success? And I think that's what the two people in the relationship, they're the only ones who get to decide that. You know, it's very much like in business, you know, when you're doing something in a business, you're saying, okay, here's this thing that I want to do. Here's how I'm going to measure it. And here's what success looks like. So I think the two people, when they're getting together, should decide, like, what is it that we want out of this relationship? What is our intention for this union? What is it that we want to achieve? Is it that we want to spend the next six months to one year, like, exploring each other sexually and learning and growing and then figure out where we want to take it from there, even if it means that we go our separate ways? Is it that we actually, we really, really care about each other and we want to make this work for the long haul? And that's something that can change over the term of a relationship. But I think that we should choose, you know, I think that we should have the freedom to choose and not be boxed into one model of relationship that we didn't choose that we're just doing because that's the conditioning or that's what society expects from us. I wouldn't even say it's just limited to society. There's also boxes within other communities that try to promote relationships and intimacy. I mean, the pickup community is one that comes to example and trying to define boxes for women and how men should be with them or what things are. And yet I'm talking to you now and having known you for, for a couple of years, you seem so free in your love and adoration for women. And they also absolutely adore you back for, for the same reasons. It's like you're in relationship, you're in harmony, and you just understand each other. And the time that's spent with women in your life is, is for a very strong purpose, and it's very enjoyable. You know, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't always this way. It's been a long road. And when people ask, you know, how did you get to the place that you're at? My answer is always, well, trial and error, mostly error. <laughs> a lot 
of error. But I, you know, always, always, always I really, really loved women. Like I love the feminine. I love to spend time in the feminine. I love to please the feminine. That's just how I am. It's not, it's not something I can change about myself. You know, it's just a part of who I am. And I've been blessed that I've come across some really good teachers and role models and some really awesome women that have become my teachers, you know, in relationship or, or even through a single encounter that have taught me and have helped me to become a better lover of women. Hmm. So the road for you was not always straight. And yet, uh, was there a point in time where you experienced this transformation into being a lover of women? Or was it always that way since you were, I don't know, since you were exposed to women in your like teens or whatever? Well, I think that everybody, as they grow up, goes through a natural kind of unraveling process where, you know, you just, you're peeling off layers and layers and layers, you know, to kind of get closer and closer to the core of who you are. And so I've always really loved women. I've always been really attracted to women. And, you know, for me, it was just, you know, doing my own work to get, you know, my own stuff out of the way so that I could love them better and love them in a way that was healthy for both of us. Nice. So that's how you create like long lasting relationships with women that <laughs> don't necessarily have to be in some form of commitment. It's just like you are committed to each other and there's no social framework around it. You know, I'm a firm believer that when you meet someone, you meet them, uh, you know, there's that saying you meet them for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I think that everybody that you meet, you're going to have a different type of connection with them. Every single person's connection is going to be different. Hmm. And I think that when you meet someone and you're going to spend time with them, you know, it's up to you and that other person to define what are the rules of this relationship? What is the container of this relationship? You know, why are we together? What is our connection and our energy to each other? And how do we design a relationship that supports that energy and that connection in the best possible way? Interesting. And what would you say that is? Like, how do you facilitate this conversation with your partner, both if you're a man or a woman who desires to do this? I think you have to sit down and talk about the things that you want. You know, it's funny, because when I teach this in classes, I like to say that relationships are actually really straightforward and simple. Like, it's easy to have a relationship. I can teach you the basic things that you need to do in order to have a healthy, positive, amazing, mind-blowing relationship and an amazing connection. So the things you need to do are really simple and straightforward. The problem is, in order to do those things, you have to have a really good knowledge of yourself. You have to be really connected to yourself. You have to be able to listen to the other person. You need to develop skills that are, can be really challenging to develop within the construct of our existing society and what people expect of us. So developing the skills is the hard part, but the actual rules of how to have an awesome relationship are really straightforward and easy. It's just most people, it's difficult for them to actually adhere to those. You know what I mean? Ah, I see. We have to like basically undergo an internal character transformation to be able to simplify our relationships with others or make it more pure, perhaps. Like, so for instance, one of the things that I am a proponent of is being totally honest with your partner in most yeah. cases, just being really transparent. And also another really important thing, and most people can't do that. Like they might feel a certain way and they're like, oh, you know, I can't share this with my partner. And it's like, as soon as you make that decision, no matter how small it is of like, whatever this thing is, I'm not going to share it with my partner. Now you're keeping a secret from your partner and secrets create distance, not intimacy, you know, mm -hmm. and over the course of time, secrets build up. And so there's more and more distance. And then, you know, you can get to a point where you're like, I don't even know who my partner is anymore. 
Because you're almost living a double life, right? Totally. Like some people are living double lives. They have this life they show to their partner and then there's this another life that they're with, having with other people, perhaps even. Totally. And very often when we meet each other, we're wearing these masks that you I mean, I call them masks that you're referring to. We're playing the role of the person who wants the other person to like us. So, you know, if I'm doing that on a date and I'm not being who I am, I am playing the role of someone who wants you to like me. And that's a different person than who I really am. That's not my authentic self. That's me putting yeah. on a mask of, let me show you how awesome I am. That to me is not interesting. That to me is not intimacy. It's not authenticity. It's not a clear connection with the other person. And we often start our relationships on that foot. So it's kind of like you start off being somebody that you're not, and then it just gets worse from there. Oh, yeah, yeah. That sounds awful. And you know, it's, it's funny because uh, that attitude, like I'm going to try to be this person to please the other person almost always ends in failure too like ironically like we're trying to be this person we're like we're hoping our partner will like us in that way and yet uh, what it actually seems to do is create more distance because they're like well wait this doesn't seem congruent with who you actually are what your real desires are like only someone that's like completely i think like superficial just does not understand empathy would like fall for that i think i think you just hit the nail on the head because you said that you have to be congruent with your desires and i completely agree with that and so here's another problem So, so it's really you think okay so a relationship is straightforward i just need to say here is my desire problem is most people don't know what their desires are so if you don't know what it is that you truly truly want because you're wearing a mask even to yourself how are you going to be able to communicate to someone else what you don't know That's what I mean. Like you have to do that inner work to know who you are, to know what you want, and then be willing to be totally honest with another person. And then you can maybe start with some sort of measure of authenticity or so you can actually have a real intimacy with that other person. But if you don't know, then how are you going to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally get it. That's like the advice of a wise old sage, perhaps even. It's really amazing because uh, I'm curious now, this is open a whole other can of worms. Like, how did you come to this point in realizing this? And at what point did you realize that the key is to understanding your own authenticity and what you as a person would want in your life? Or for me, like what I would want in my life, you know, how can someone come across this answer to their own desires? It's a really fascinating question that you're opening up this box, you know, um, for me, you know, I mean, people like to talk about, oh, you know, you've been with hundreds of women and, and you do all this amazing stuff sexually and you teach this stuff. And that's all wonderful, but what I'm realizing now, what's most important to me now, is not even really so much the sexual aspect, but the intimacy. Being able to actually connect to another person and like connect to who they are and not their mask and not their representative and not the facade that they're, the advertisement that they're trying to sell for who they are. It's like, I want to connect with you. You know, I went on a date with a woman last week and she was totally charming and totally flirting. But like, I could tell that that was just an act. And, you know, we went back to my place and we were sitting down and we were talking and I just kind of looked at her and I said, you know, you you don't have to impress me. Like, I want to see you. I want to know who you are. Like, you don't have to put on a show for me. Like, that's not interesting to me. I want to know who you are. And she kind of like dropped the act for a minute. And I looked into her eyes and, and I was like, see that? See that? That woman is beautiful to me. That woman right there. She's beautiful to me, and I feel like I've waited this whole fucking evening to meet her. How do I get to know her? So she just dropped the guard. He dropped the facade. Yeah. 
Because you saw it. Because that's what I wanted. That's what I was asking for. And after, I don't yeah. know, this is like two hours into the date. and How many times have women gone through this experience with men? I mean, there must be like countless times for each woman where like there's a guy who's not really being his authentic self around a woman. And she gets turned off because she doesn't see that authenticity. That's why I said like, it's so straightforward. Like show up, be your authentic self. The other person's their authentic self. You see if there's chemistry and you kind of move from that place. But like... That's not what we're taught. You know, the, the man is taught, like, you have to be the Prince Charming, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. And it's like, we load people up with such crap and bullshit that it's like, both sexes are doomed, man. I mean, like, <laughs> this is why I teach the courses that I teach, because nobody teaches us this stuff. We just learn the most awful, like, wrong information about how to connect with someone and how to have sex and how to give someone pleasure, how to experience, like, we just learned the most awful backwards shit ever. You know what I mean? I know. I completely agree. Like, a great example in modern society, I think, is how the book, the Kama Sutra, has just been reduced to a book of sex positions for a lot of people. It's like, oh, look, you can do it this way, and you can do it this way, or you can, like, do it from the back this way. But even that book is, like, so much more than just the representation of the physical element of sexuality. Those are all really great things to experiment with. And you know what? Let's be honest. Like in our society, any kind of touch point that somebody has with sexuality that is positive is one that I'm supportive of. So if you are interested about sexuality, you have a curiosity, and you pick up a book on Kama Sutra, you know, God bless you. That is awesome. That gives you at least some sort of entry point. You'll learn some new positions. Some of those positions are really awesome. I've tried all of them. I can tell you, <laughs> but it's not the position. It's really like if you have the position, but you're not connected to your partner, then it's just a position. I mean, yeah, you know, it's kind of like yoga. Like some people will come and do yoga and they're like, this is a physical practice for me. I do it to limber up my body and to strengthen my body. And I do yoga and it's physical. And then there are other people that do yoga and they're like, this is a fucking spiritual practice. This is my spiritual practice, and I'm connecting my breath and my mind and my body, and I'm unifying everything in this yoga, and that's what it means to me. And so everybody does it for different reasons, and they get different things out of it. So, you know, I think any touch point that you have, like if you're picking up a Kama Sutra book, you don't know anything about it, you know, that's great. Kudos to you. That's why I think the sex positive movement exists. It's because we cast such a negative shadow on sexuality we kind of push it into the shadows or don't talk about this don't do this that you know anything that is positive about sexuality is healthy is a positive it's a step in the right direction yeah i think they realized this long ago in the ancient cultures i know that you teach tantra which is to describe it very briefly a unity of the sexuality of a person and their spirit correct tantra has been around for thousands of years it's a very broad term. It does mean union and a weaving of energy. And I look at it as a weaving of masculine and feminine energy, right? Because we were talking about polarity. Yeah. And so there are aspects of Tantra, such as white Tantra, which is a solo practice for the most part, where you're moving the energy in your body and uniting the masculine and feminine within yourself. You're uniting the chakras and you want your energy to flow within your body. Then there's red tantra, which is where you do that with another partner. And that's kind of like the tantric, into the tantric sex and the other, other aspects of it. For me, the tantra that I teach is all about energy and connection and sensuality and sexuality. How do we get connected to ourselves and our bodies so that we feel whole and unified? And then how do we then share that with another person 
so we can connect with them and feel whole and feel a sense of oneness with that other person. How do we do that? So that is my sort of focus in the tantric work that I teach. And then how does that flow into relationships and negotiating relationships, polyamory, polarity, all that stuff. Right, right. And we can go back a little bit and tie this into the earlier idea of discovering ourselves and being our authentic self, right? Like you can coach both men and women to take off their masks and peel away the layers and express to others without fear of judgment who a person who one actually is. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of the classes that I teach or that I teach with my partners, we do exercises so that people can do that. So they have an opportunity to do that. Very profound. Yeah, I think that, and this accounts for my experience too, but the women and men that I've seen that do this and discover this side about themselves, they're like, holy shit, almost always university, they're like, why didn't I try this sooner? Why was I thinking in these strange ways before? And I guess when you see the light, almost, you can never really go back to the old way. I haven't heard of a single person that has done this yet, which is pretty cool to see too. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about desire versus preference, right? Like, so we're taught that desire is different from preference in this viewpoint of sexuality and, and mind, body, spirit unification, right? So the way that I would talk about it is, um, so we have desire and then we have preference. So for me, you know, your preferences are what you want in a mate. We have a class where we do this and we ask the women, you know, okay, so you describe what you want in your perfect mate. And they'll be like, well, you know, you know, he's... He's got to be six foot tall and you know, I want him to have a good job and he's got to be really funny and really confident and he has to dress, you know, well and, you know, they'll come up with their sort of wish, wish list of what they want in a partner. So that's, you know, what is it that you want in a partner? Those are sort of your requirements. You, you said preferences, whatever it is that you want or that you intellectually say that you want. And then there's desire, which is you put yourself in front of another person or you see their photo or you have some sort of experience with them and you feel this attraction towards them, right? Mm. And so, so it's based on presence. The key thing to know is that, you know, you don't get to choose who you're attracted to. You don't get like, you might say, okay, well, I need someone who's six foot tall and whatever. And then you meet someone who's incredibly short and you like totally fall for them. I mean, if you're able to choose who you're attracted to, you'd be like, well, I want to be attracted to what my preferences are. But those are two separate things. You know, there's what you say that you want. And then there's, you know, what you're who you're attracted to on a, you know, we call that chemistry, right? You either have chemistry with someone or you don't. Is this also go back to the earlier marriage question? Like people say they have a preference for only having monogamous relationships or they have a preference for wanting to get married by a certain age. And yet when you expose the real desire, it could be very different from that. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't believe that anyone can say, uh, and this is another exercise that we do in one of our classes. I don't want to give it away because our, our classes are so good. And we actually have one coming up where we might actually do this exercise. I don't want to say that you can't say that you have a preference for monogamy if you haven't tried anything else, like really learned about other things and, and tried them, because that's not a preference. Like if you go to the auto rental store and they say, we only rent Volkswagen Beetles, and that's mm -hmm. the only auto rental store in your town then you don't really have a choice. So you can't say, well, my preference is for, you know, Beatles, because that's the only car they have. You're not, you don't actually have a choice. I mean, you could go to another town or another store, but for the sake of argument, let's just say that that's not convenient. So if you only have one thing to choose from, you don't really have a choice. You know, monogamy is kind of like our default. It's, it's what we're taught 
And nobody's ever really taught monogamy, actually, right? It's just kind of inferred. Like, you know, I can tell you my parents are together. They've been together. And if one of them goes and has sex with somebody outside the marriage, that's going to be considered a violation of the agreement. Right. Did my parents ever sit down and say, hey, let's set up a relationship where we're only going to be sexual with each other. And if we're ever sexual with somebody else, that's considered a violation of our relationship. No, nobody ever does that. Right. That's implied and inferred because of the way society is set up. If you're not aware that there's even a choice, then you're kind of stuck. That's not a choice. It's kind of like the way that I like to describe it is imagine that, you know, ever since you were a child, do you remember how old you were when you first had ice cream? So the first time I had ice cream, you know, I have no idea. I mean, I would guess it's probably when I was five or six years old, but uh, I could not. I have no clue. Okay. Do you remember what's the first ice cream flavor you remember having? Oh, yeah. Well, that's probably probably mint. I love mint. Mint. Love it. Yeah. Okay, great. So imagine if your whole life, every time you had ice cream, it was mint ice cream. So much so to the point where you didn't know that there was any other ice cream that existed. Uh, You know, when you were introduced to ice cream, it always had a minty flavor to it. And so when anybody said, do you want ice cream? You immediately in your head were thinking of mint. And you didn't even know it, right? Because to you, that's what ice cream is. Yeah, exactly. You find something you like and you stick with it. Right. Well, I mean, not even that you found something that you like, like you weren't even aware that ice cream ever came in another flavor. Yeah, that's true. You see what I I'm found... saying? Yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. If you only ever had one flavor, then you don't even know that there's other flavors. You just assume that ice cream tastes like mint. You know, if somebody uh... came to you and was like, hey, yeah, see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see. I just clicked right now. Oh my God. So then you go to somebody else's house in another country somewhere and they're like, do you want ice cream? And you're like, hell yeah, I love ice cream. And then they bring out ice cream that's vanilla. You'd be like, what the fuck is this? This is not ice cream. What is this? And they'd be like, sure, it's ice cream. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you, uh, so let's bring us back to relationships. We see relationships or we're taught relationships only through one filter when in fact, one flavor and one filter, one way of viewing it, and it's not even exposed how things might be differently. We can't even fathom how they could be differently because we're not exposed to that from a young age. Yeah, we're not even aware of it. Yeah. And so you might be like, I love ice cream. But then one day you discover Baskin Robbins 31 ice cream, right? And you go in there and it's like, whoa, they have different flavors of ice cream. This is kind of weird. And you're like, okay, let me try this one. Let me try that one. What if you tried all these flavors and you're like, you know what? I love ice cream, which I thought was mint. But this chocolate flavor, this tastes amazing. I think this is my new flavor. Now, let's say that your whole life you were actually chocolate was your favorite flavor, but you didn't know that because you never tasted it. So if the if there's only ever one flavor, so much so that you associate ice cream as that flavor, you actually take the idea of ice cream and fuse it with that single flavor, then you don't really have freedom in this choice. It's not a choice. You know, it's just something that you do. But if you go to Baskin Robbins 31 ice cream, you're like, hey, can I try this one? Can I try this one? Can I try this one? And you try them all. And then you say, you know what? I've tried them all and I'm going to stick to mint. Now you're free. Now you've made a choice. And that's a choice that I can respect. But you might decide that you like chocolate better or that you like vanilla or that, you know what? I used to like vanilla for the past couple of years, but now I'm really into Rocky Road because it changes, right? It changes as we change. 
So I'm totally not against monogamy. I think monogamy can be a very beautiful thing. I've been monogamous at certain points. I probably will be monogamous again at some point because it changes. But what I'm against is monogamy by default. There's monogamy without choice. So if you've tried mm. a couple of different things and really tried them, then, and you're like, you know what, I tried all of these, but you know, mint is my favorite. I'd be like, okay, then you stick with mint because that actually now is your choice. Yeah, because you've actually opened your mind to the possibility of having something different or perhaps even enjoying what you always enjoyed because you've discovered that, okay, you tried other things and it wasn't for you. Yeah, we should have the freedom to choose what relationship container actually works best based on our desires. But we don't even yeah. know what our desires are. So how can we even begin to fathom any kind of relationship container that's different than what we're told when we grow up? Yeah, it actually has happened to me quite a few times where I'll profess that I have a preference for a certain kind of woman. And then I'll meet someone who's totally unlike that woman that I professed, you know, for. And it's like, wow, this is even better than I thought it could possibly be. And I've actually met women who also feel that way, both with me for in relationship or with other men, too. They're like, oh, I never thought I would fall in love with a guy who was, you know, X race or Y culture or whatever, or did this or that, because it just didn't cross their mind that it could even be a possibility. Yeah, you don't get to choose. So <laughs> that's why I say find out what your connection is to this person. And then can the two of you come together and say, and you say, like, here's what I want. And the other person says, here's what I want. And again, those desires can change. But, you know, you have to have a sense of what your real desire is with that relationship with that person and then design a relationship that will support those desires in the most healthy way interesting i like that i really like that you know like i'm trying to think of examples like let's say you meet a woman and you're like you know what i don't know that i want to be with this person forever i don't know that i want to marry this person but there's something that's really attractive about them and and i'd like us to be together for a little while and really explore each other sexually and see how we can grow from that union and so you propose that and see what the other person wants and you try to find a, a relationship that you can design that supports that. Or you might meet someone and you're like, you know what, I, I really want to try to make a life with you. Can we make this a go and, and try to work out that type of a relationship, you know? So relationships have many types and we get to decide exactly what those are. We can be creative and we can make it fun. And, and you know, like I'm thinking about some folks that I know that are in an open relationship and they make it fun. They have like... um I was told of, of one relationship where every week or every month, I forget what the duration was, they would have sovereignty day where they get to be with anybody else that they want, you know, and that was their day to do their own thing. And then on the other side, there are some people that are in very open relationships and they have date night where it's like, you know, we're with so many people that we need to make sure we have a date night just for the two of us to be together, which is kind of the flip side of that other arrangement. Now, mm. that's not necessarily a construct, you know, an open relationship that's for everyone. But what I'm saying is that you can design the relationship that you feel is appropriate for the specific connection you have with that person in communication with them together as a team and set up whatever the rules are that will allow you to enjoy that relationship the most. You can't take something that's, you know, by not designed to be monogamous or not designed to be a certain way and try to force it into a box. That is the short trip ticket to unhappiness. Interesting. Yeah. And we do see that quite often where we mentioned earlier, like a man, woman might be married for, I don't know, 50 years and the 
numerical value is seen as the success factor, and yet those two people could also be completely miserable, except in public, of course, you know, but like behind closed doors or whatever. And this has happened to me and my family too. Like, it could be very rough. Yeah, and you know what? That's a perfect example of people living under the expectation of what they're expected to be. Like, oh, well, you know, I, I married this person. I'm expected to spend the rest of my life with them. So even though I'm, I don't want to be with them anymore, I'm going to stay in this thing because that's what I'm supposed to do. Then you're not living your authentic self. Now, I'm not proposing, don't take me out of context, I'm not proposing that if you have a fight with your partner, you should be like, well, I'm, I'm out of here. I think that actually happens a lot too, and, and that might not necessarily be the right thing to do in that moment. But what I'm saying is that if you generally don't want to be with a person, why are you with them just because of your parents or society or somebody else's expectations? You know, I think a person should follow their own true desire and do the thing that feels good for them. The key then is to discover the desire first within ourselves. Yeah, what is your true desire? You know, very often, you know, if you're not really connected to your desire, you're very susceptible to think you know what your desire is, but that's not the real desire. Yeah. You might be misinterpreting what your true desire is. Yeah. Now, I know you coach, you have clients that you coach on this exact subject, like how to find your true desire. How does Tantra fit into this? Well, Tantra at its core, I mean, is you have to learn how to be connected to yourself. How do I connect to myself? How do I connect to my whole body? How do I connect to the energy centers in my body? Where are there areas where I am more connected to my body? And where are there areas where I am deficient in my connection? Or where are there areas where I have blocks and I don't have access to my energy in a particular chakra? So that's your own work to do, is to get your energy unified and moving and have some sort of balance across all of the energy centers in your body. You know, that's your inner work to do. Right. What does this balance look like? What does it look like? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's individual for every person, right? But let me give an example. Like, there might be a person, like, uh, I used to be this way at one point. I thought I was being authentic in a certain way. And yet, every time I asked people, like, if uh, they felt I was being authentic, they were like, no, you're actually maybe trying too hard. You're not comfortable in your own skin. And I felt like within myself, there was a cognitive dissonance almost. So in that context, like, how do you start? What do you mean that you felt cognitive dissonance? Well, because I thought I was being true to myself, but uh, other people could tell I wasn't, right? And looking back on that time period now, I actually realized that they were right, which is the more interesting thing. Interesting. So how do you know who your true self is? Yeah, well, how do you begin to discover that? Is it through trial and error? Is it through learning different skills? Is it learning... Like, is it learning to be in harmony in relationship with women? Is it trying different relationship styles? Like, how do we start to discover ourselves? I think it's all of those things. I think it's helpful to have a practice that you do. You know, like, uh, you know, I mean, I have several practices that I do, meditations and energy practices that I do every day. So I think it's helpful to actually practice getting to know yourself. And, you know, like you said, part of that is trying on different hats and saying, you know, when you go to the clothing store, you try on different clothes and you're like, how do I look? Do I like this? Do I not like it? And you try on these different clothes until you find something that you feel fits you. Hmm, interesting. So we have to play and we have to play unapologetically. That's the dance of life, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like uh, people are scared of doing that. Like fear is our worst enemy and yet we engage in fear all the time. Yeah, but fear can be your best friend. Yeah? How's that? You know, in my Kung Fu class, I, I studied Kung Fu for 12 years, something like that. And one of the things that really stuck with me is is my Kung Fu Sifu grandmaster, actually, 
said that the one thing that we can't simulate in the classroom is fear. And the great thing about fear is that it can either crush you or it can make you awesome. He would mention that, you know, fear is going to make your adrenaline spike. Fear is going to give you superhuman power. It's going to make your reflexes that much faster. So if you use fear as the energy that it is, it can actually make you better, make you stronger, make you faster, and, and give you an extra edge in overcoming your opponent. But if you give in to fear, then it can destroy you. So I tend to think of fear as a surge of overwhelming energy, and you can either direct that inwards or you can direct that outwards. Hmm, okay. So what does an inward focus look like? What does an outward focus look like? Well, I mean, you know, so it's the fight or flight, right? Like it's that moment mm. when you feel this tremendous fear and it's like either you let the fear cripple you or you, you know, freeze like a deer in headlights or you use the fear to be better, to be superhuman, to accomplish the thing that you need to accomplish in that moment. So I guess from that perspective, you could think of fear as the universe's opportunity to allow you to make a choice. Interesting. Yeah. I've always found that in my life, stepping through fear is very painful to do at first, but always also very rewarding, even if there is some pain involved. And I don't mean like literal pain. I mean, like the fear of doing it, doing something that I'm fearful of is it feels painful because I'm almost imagining a fear that doesn't really exist. But the idea of doing it is, is just so scary. You know, I want to want to step away from it. And yet at the same time, so many times it's happened where I've actually stepped through the fear and I've discovered like, holy crap, there's this whole other world right behind this door and I can't believe I didn't walk through it until now. Fear can be pretty awesome because one of the things that it does without a shadow of a doubt is it immediately brings you into the present moment. You know, we talk a lot in Tantra about being present, you know, not just Tantra, in many different modalities, we talk about being present, being with the person that you want, right? Being in the now. And if there's one thing that fear accomplishes, bar none, is that will bring you to the now, right now. Does that mean we should be doing things that scare us always, always step through that, that boundary? That's what a lot of people say. I mean, you know, I mean, not always. At some point you need to, you know, everything has its cycles and ups and downs. You, know, you can't be living in fear your whole life. You're not growing if you're living in fear your whole life. But, you know, you do want to grow. You do want to expand who you are and living at your edge is what I call it, you know, that place where you're constantly stretching yourself, but not to the point where you're going to break. Until, of course, you reach the next block. Like, I remember reading this in David Data's book called The Way of the Superior Man, and he talks about living on the edge, you know, like, uh, we don't actually know how far our edge exists, because after you conquer one piece of fear, there might be another one that we discover. And behind that one, there might be another one. And behind that one, there might be another one. But we have to start at the first place. We can't just jump to the finish line. I've read that book many times. And I'm in a men's group that meets weekly that talks about these subjects. And the, your edge is always moving. Like your edge is not a constant. You know, my edge today is not where it was 10 years ago in pretty much every area of my life. So it's something that's constantly evolving. And I think the, the point is that you want to keep pushing that edge and pushing it. And then as you're pushing that edge, you're expanding who you are and you're growing. Once you stop pushing that edge, you know, it's almost like you contract or you're not growing anymore. So that edge is always going to move. You know, you said it yourself, you get to here and then you discover something else and then you confront that edge and then you get to here and then you get to here and then you get to here and you're taking steps along the way. And then one day you turn back and you look and you're like, holy shit, I've come a long way. 
I feel like that describes my own journey with women. So, I mean, there's that part and I totally, totally understand it completely. In fact, not even just women, not even just women, it's career and stuff also. But what were you going to say? I was going to say, yeah, let's get back to women. (laughs) Everyone wants to talk about women. Tell me about finding compatible mates. You know, we talked about differences between desire versus preference, right? So there's this idea of who we want, and yet we may desire someone completely different. And also in relationship structures, there's different kinds of relationships that we can do. There's polyamory, there's different forms of polyamory, there's different monogamous relationships. There's I've heard a new term lately now called intimate partners or like playmates, things of that sort. Like how do we find compatible mates, both men and women? Well, when you say compatible, I think it really comes down to what you're looking for. You know, like, where are you in your life and your development? Uh, What is it that you're interested in? It still comes back to what I or what one wants as a person. Well, yeah. How do you define compatible? Like, you're like a mechanic coming to me going, you know, how do I find a compatible part for my engine? And I'm like, okay, well, tell me your engine type and your serial number and your model number. And I'll tell you what, you know, car bodies can accommodate your engine type. Yeah, that's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah, so it's what is your self-knowledge, and then we'll find the things that are compatible with it. Do you think that we, too often in our modern society, in the modern world, we don't look and find our true desires first? Like, we just settle too much for external gratifications, like more money, more wealth, more power, better career, better jobs. Well, you know, we all grow up under this construct of what we're supposed to do. The movie The Matrix was all about this. We grow up under this matrix of you're supposed to grow up and then you go to kindergarten and then you go to grade school and then you go to high school. Then you have your prom. Then you apply to college. You go to college. You start to learn to do something, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, whatever you become. And then you work in a job and then you meet someone and then you get married and then you have kids and then and then the cycle repeats, right? Like that's the construct. We in our society shame any woman that's above the age of 35 that's not been married or that's not married and has kids or at least has been through that experience. Up, you know, oh, yeah. Fifty Terrible. years ago, we would even shame them if they were divorced. At least we don't do that anymore. Now we yeah. just ask them what went wrong. We're still kind of living under that shadow of this is supposed to last forever, right? I mean, until, until death do us part. And so by asking the question, you're actually making the person wrong for their desires. You know, like we're kind of doomed in that sense because like this is the construct that we're taught. And it's like if you want to be successful, you have to navigate through this construct in the following ways, right? And then if you don't, well, then that's a failure, you know? And one of the key ways that you see this is like when a relationship ends, everybody's like, oh, my God, what happened? What happened? Mm -hmm. You know, like what went wrong? And it's like nothing went wrong. Like we meet people for different reasons. I had a friend who went out with a woman and I saw him and the woman. I met them together and I could tell that like they're not going to be together forever. I was like, but he's probably going to have a good six months to a year with this woman. They're both going to grow a lot and then they'll go their separate ways. And so now I can tell you without a doubt the things that he learned with this woman helped him grow to a place where he could then attract his next partner. And that next partner was somebody that he's ended up marrying. Wow. Without the experience of that first relationship and what he gained in it, he wouldn't have been ready for this partner that now he wants to spend the rest of his life with. But at the time, and I could tell because, you know, I've been doing this a long time and I've dated a lot and I've coached a lot. So I could kind of tell like this woman that he was with, they're going to have a six month or one year relationship. Turns out it was a little longer than a year. And then they broke up and everybody's like, oh, my God, what went wrong? And I was like, nothing went wrong. Like you were supposed to be with her for six months to a year. That was what it felt like, at least to me. And you learned a lot and you grew a lot. And then you fulfilled that layer of purpose. 
and then it's time to move on to the next thing. You know, just like in the David Data book, he says, you know, you, you do a certain thing and then you feel like you fulfill that layer of purpose and then a new purpose emerges. And I believe that happens in relationships too. So other people will look at that initial relationship and be like, well, that was a failure because it didn't lead to marriage. But I look at it as that's exactly the education that my friend needed so that he could be ready for the relationship that now will ultimately serve him probably for most of the rest of his life. We have such bad training and then such bad perspectives on things and we just, our vision is cloudy and we don't have the right tools. It's like, how can we ever expect anybody to meet anyone and have any hope of having a healthy relationship when there are so many things that we grow up under that are constraining us and blocking our vision and preventing us from being our, our full selves. You know, it's like, it's like the blind meeting the blind. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I would add even one more thing, which is what I call the paradox of choice of the modern era, which is like, we grew up thinking that, I mean, there's so much you can talk about what is taught wrong, but we're taught believing like you have to settle for the one person that you like the most, right? And yet there's so many options for dating now. There's options of meeting people in person, meeting people in nightlife, meeting people across the world because you can travel the world in like, you can go across the globe to like Hong Kong from New York, for instance, in 16 hours, which is nothing compared to what it used to be a long time ago. It's online dating, there's like matchmaking sites, there's classes and stuff. Right. And yet still we feel completely unfulfilled with this, all these options because we're still in that context of like, I need to meet the one person that's for me that will fulfill me forever and ever and ever. Yeah. So you just stated it perfectly, right? Yeah. That's the fairy tale. Someday my prince will come. I don't know. I feel like people end up make themselves miserable viewing relationships this way rather than appreciating a person being in one's life for, for who they are. I actually have a very different perspective on it. I think that um, there are quite a few people in this world that meet that one person and everything just clicks. And that can be an extremely beautiful thing. Oh, and I'm not denying that happens, by the way, because I've seen it, I've experienced it, and it is awesome to experience. And I've seen it happen to other people, and it's beautiful. Totally. That's a beautiful thing. There's nothing negative about that. But when we all think that that's the relationship that we're supposed to have, and that that's the relationship we're supposed to have now. And so that every, for instance, if I meet every woman and I'm like trying to make her this princess, you know, that's the problem. It's not necessarily that that exists because it's beautiful when that happens. But when we're expecting that to happen every time, and then when that doesn't happen, you know, something's wrong, that's the problem. It's the way that we think about it. Interesting. Uh, I feel like we can just like pick this subject apart even further. <laughs> This is why yeah. when we teach these classes that I teach, you know, we go through with like, okay, let's connect to ourselves. Let's really get connected to who we are. Now let's connect to another person in an authentic way without any kind of mask and see what kind of connection is there. And you know, the interesting thing is that, is that what you discover is that you can actually love anyone. You can love and be in relationship with anyone. When there are two people that are 100% present and 100% authentic, that is a beautiful experience. That is a beautiful and rare experience. And you see a God and goddess in each other. I really like that description, the God and goddess. We don't acknowledge that aspect of our partners nearly enough. And I think that everyone really should. Both acknowledging oneself as a potential God, as a God, as a beautiful creature, and also a woman that he's with 
or in the case of a woman, a man that she's with, you know, acknowledging ourselves as gods and goddesses in this light. I know that you're a tantra coach now, and you also coach men and women on relationships. So tell me a bit about the classes that you teach. So I teach about relationships. I teach intimacy. I talk about polarity. I teach sensuality. So I teach classes on the art of touch. Um, I teach people how to be better lovers. I teach about, uh, and part of that is learning anatomy. Part of that is learning energy. Part of that is learning how arousal works in the body. I'm just very passionate about giving people a choice so that they can learn different ways to relate to each other that we were never really taught in school. You know, like when you think about, I mean, if you take a step back and you look at, at least in this country, you take a sort of like macro view of the education system and you think about sex education, you know, what did we really learn in sex education? If, if you learned it in school, you learn about diseases, you learn, you know, that boys have a penis and women have a vagina, but you kind of knew that already. But they talk about all the diseases and, you know, always use a condom and don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's all the sort of negative, scary stuff about sex, but we never learn anything positive. Like the perspective on it is just like this, that you only do it with who you're married because there's diseases out there. This is dangerous. You're going to grow hair on your palm. Just avoid this whole thing entirely. Oh, yeah. It's like t it's like telling people how to walk and then saying, but if you cross the street, a car could hit you. So you just never go outside. But you don't even teach them how to walk. You just say, no. <laughs> yeah. you, you don't even literally teach them how to put one foot in front of the other. And so in, in the classes, we teach people how to put one foot in front of the other. Like, how does energy work? How does attraction work? How does foreplay work? How does arousal work? How does the anatomy work? You know, like there's some really simple things that you can learn that can radically change your experience of your body, of your sexuality, of your sensuality, of your energy. And these are really things that we should be taught in school. Like communication, communication would be a great thing to learn in school. Like how do you learn to express yourself in a way that the other person can hear? And how do you learn to listen to the other person? Really simple, basic skills. Never is that taught in any classroom. Nobody teaches you how to listen to another person. You know, if we spent one day or one hour in a classroom with children when they're young and taught them how to hold space for each other and how to listen to each other for a whole hour, it would radically change the course of that child's life. Wow. That's powerful. I think it's so true. It's so true. And we don't value those things nearly enough in our society. It's probably too much focus on merit-based things like learning, I don't know, certain skills that could potentially help you. And yet communication is one of those things that and being in relationship with the opposite sex and also with yourself is something that will is far more valuable in every aspect of our lives until the moment we, we drop and die. Probably even beyond that, actually. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, like sex is probably one of the most enjoyable things that we have in our lives. And if you think about it, like your whole life, you're going to go through so much pain and so much struggle and so much loss. Like, you know, the more your life goes on, life just keeps taking things away from you and and, you know, you'll see friends pass away, you'll lose jobs, you'll lose friends, you'll lose family members. Like life is all <laughs> mostly about pain and loss and pain and loss. And it's like the one thing that we can do that actually brings us some of the most truest, rawest joy, that's the one thing that we shame and say, oh, you shouldn't do that. So it's like all of life is suffering. And then, oh, we have this really awesome thing, but 
But pay no attention to that. You, you don't do that. That's bad for you. Just continue along your your path of pain and suffering. Uh, oh, I wouldn't limit it to just sexuality either. I would limit it to being authentic, true to yourself, being in relationship with men and women, like authentically. It's a beautiful thing. And it's not really society's fault. I mean, everything that we go through, to, you know, if we're looking at society on a macro level, like beyond just the scope of our own lifetimes, you know, the education system in, in our country was really set up during a time where we went from uh, the agricultural age to the industrial age. And the industrial age meant we needed people that could work in factories. And so we needed to train people that could be obedient, that could follow a disciplined set of, you know, the, the assembly line, the factory people that could follow a very strict set of guidelines on an assembly line. And so that's what the school system was designed to do, to pump out people that could be obedient and get the job done. Because, you know, it's almost like the army, right? Like the army is designed in a certain way to pump out soldiers. You can't have people just doing whatever they want. Like you need a chain of command, right? Otherwise, people would just be running all over the place in chaos. So you need to design systems to be able to get people to work together. And that's kind of how this all started. So it's not, you know, it's just what's happening now is actually a very exciting time is that people are starting to evolve beyond the system. Yeah, I really like that, actually, because every, there's tons of people discovering this other way. And I think that alone is extremely empowering because the more we do this, the more educated people are about what is possible. Not seeing relationships, not seeing connection out of fear or out of judgment and out of and trusting ourselves, trusting our gut, the more love we'll ultimately feel, the more love we'll ultimately bring to others, too, that we really desire. And this is why this is such an exciting time, is because now we're starting to see, oh, you know, the old models don't really work anymore. Like, we need to find a new model, right? Like, it used to be like you're either in a relationship or not. Now you have, like, friends, friends with benefits. You know, it's complicated because we're evolving beyond what was and we haven't created the structure or the foundation for what is because, you know, the world as a, a people evolve much slowly, slower than a person can evolve. And so we have a lot of persons that are evolving beyond the system that we originally constructed that's been in place for, you know, for so long. So, you know, it's actually a very exciting time and I'm really excited to see what is going to evolve next and what kind of structures we're going to create next, you know, which is why I mentioned, you know, you should find the person that you want and, and then the two of you together should agree on what that relationship should be rather than trying to use an old model that clearly isn't working. I mean, when more than 50% of marriages end in a divorce, it's pretty clear that whatever rules we set up, you know, the marriage is neither good or bad, but whatever rules are inherent in that marriage container are not really working if more than half of the people are not, you know, that's not even a majority. Like if we were trying to pass a bill and there wasn't even a majority voting for it, that bill would not get passed. And so, you know, marriage is kind of becoming this bill that wouldn't pass. So we need to find out what is that new bill? You know, what is that new kind of relationship that we can create? And what are the new rules that can support the evolution that's going on Instead of trying to squish people back into this box that they clearly don't fit into, you know, and, yeah. and, and some people do again, like I, I want to be clear that I'm not bashing monogamy. I think monogamy can be very beautiful, but it has to be monogamy by choice. So whatever the relationship is, it has to be a choice. It has to be you saying, hey, this is the kind of relationship I want. And your partner saying, this is the kind of relationship I want. And then you negotiate what that is and what that can look like. I like that approach a lot, actually. And I think it's safe to say that 
the beginning of all of this, this whole discussion is for a person, for one to question oneself and really ask, what is it that I really desire? And that's where this always begins. It's a tough one, isn't it? You know, and you know what's interesting is that uh, in most classes, you know, when we do an exercise about desire, we will ask people, you know, what do you want? Right? Or we say, what do you want in a partner? And every single time that we ask this question, people begin their answer with what they don't want. Well, I don't want this, and I don't want that, and I don't want that. <laughs> and I said, I said, that's great, but you're not answering the question that I asked, which is what do you want? And believe in the possibility. Yeah. Figure out what it is. It's yeah. so much easier for us to tell you what we don't want because that's how we're sort of habituated to think. But to really figure out what it is that you want, that, my friend, takes true self-inquiry and a lot of work, you know? I love it. Great, great, great topic. Now, where can a person find more information about your coaching practices and your classes? How can we reach you? You can go to my website, dacaguy.com, and learn a little bit more about what I do, and I list workshops there. We have a Night of Tantra coming up on Tuesday, May 16th. This is in uh, New York City, I assume. In Manhattan, yes. And that's also on the website. You can find that there. Or at least it should be going up there shortly. And that'll be an evening where we do some exercises. You can meet some new people. We're going to talk about Tantra, answer lots of questions, very much like the ones that you asked today, and how they're applicable to relationships, to how to become a better lover, and all that fun stuff. So that is coming up on Tuesday the 16th. Um, and then there's a bunch of events that you'll, that you'll find on uh on my website. Great. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that I could host you on this amazing episode of Dating Mechanics by Girls Chase. I'm really looking forward to seeing how your practice evolves and how many lives you can touch and influence with your teaching about Tantra and relationships and just being at one with our desires. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be on the show with you, Varun, and very much enjoyed this very wonderful and philosophical at times conversation. You know, you have some very good ideas and very much enjoyed exchanging ideas with you. So thank you. Awesome. I recorded this podcast with Daka Guy in April 2017 and actually attended his May 2017 workshop in New York City. I found our podcast and the workshop so fascinating and also saw near instant results in my own life with women that I felt I had to talk to him again. What follows is an additional 30 minutes of discussion with Daka about some more nuances with preference versus desire and how a man's intention towards a woman really sets the vibe that carries through in our interactions and relationships with them. Daka Guy, welcome back to Dating Mechanics. It's a pleasure to have you again for an addendum to our last podcast. Varun, always a pleasure to speak with you. Of course. You know, I uh, was so happy to be able to talk to you again because I attended your Tantra workshop on May 16th, which was actually last week at the time of this recording. And in addition to the one I attended with you previously, I learned so much about Tantra and just the ability and the capacity that we have as men to love women and for women to love us as men and what that actually looks like. In fact, after listening to the podcast I did with you, I still had some unanswered questions. But before I get into those, I do want to share both with you and with my audience that I've had a breakthrough in my journey with women over the last week or so. And I think a lot of this is a result of some of the principles that were taught and discussed in the Tantra workshops. Mm -hmm. Notably, 
I have been walking around for about the last week and a half or so, just declaring that it is my intention every moment of every day to love where I am in life and also to just love and adore the women around me. And this breakthrough actually came because I saw in the Tantra workshops how women were behaving around you and how you were behaving around women. And it seemed like there was just boundless energy and love and space just reverberating from you to them and from them to you. And it was absolutely eye-opening. It was like the capacity we have to love is actually limitless. And if we just take the risk to get past our egos and showcase it to the world, you actually receive the same energy back. It's almost like the world is our mirror in this way. Wow, that sounds pretty awesome and pretty deep. I say for me, it was definitely really deep. (laughs) I mean, I've been going out and approaching women as I go in during my day, and I've just been receiving so much warm energy from them. And it makes me feel really good to be able to give. And not only that, but in the process of receiving so much energy, I mean, I've had countless opportunities for dates. I've had better relationships with my current girlfriends, which who have like grown stronger and stronger to me. And it just seems like there's so much boundless energy and love to give. This is still mind-blowing to me, personally. I'm still trying to figure out what to do with this because I don't have the capacity to, to give as much as I'd like to. And yet there's so much warm reception coming from women everywhere. It's beautiful. I see that you've already gone through this. So, I mean, this is what you've been striving to teach others, I presume. Yeah, I'm just still kind of processing how beautiful it is what you just shared. I'm really glad that you've been having this experience. I think you're a naturally warm guy. So it's not a shock that you're having this experience. And it's beautiful that you have chosen to fuse that with your intention to make it very stronger and that that's working. That's wonderful. You know, I think that for me, that's a practice. You know, I don't feel that way every day. You know, it's a practice. It's something you have to keep doing over and over and over. It's like going to the gym. You know, you have to keep going to the gym and keep going to the gym. And and that's how you get in better shape. So whatever you're doing seems like it's working. So keep going to the gym. Yeah, it's been working amazingly. And it's not even like I've made a really profound change to my life. I've been doing virtually the same things that I was doing earlier. I'm still going to work every day. I'm still meditating every morning. I'm still seeing my girlfriends. But what has changed is my intention to how I approach every moment. And that has been like a fantastic, just the opportunity and the eye-openness that I see now is, is incredible. Now, in the Tantra workshop, we really discussed a lot about how to develop these skills as a practice, right? So what I wanted to really pick your brain up in this session is how to discover and develop self-knowledge and skills with respect to relationship. I think a lot of people, both men and women, have this interest in discovering themselves and discovering what kinds of relationships they're capable of, but they're not really sure about how to go about it in the first place. How to develop self-knowledge? Yes. I guess practice and experimentation. Okay. So you can read books, you can get a lot of knowledge, you can learn different concepts and techniques, but then you have to try them on and see if they fit you, if they work for you. And then as you try them on, you kind of learn something about yourself, you know? Does that mean that we should strive to get past our comfort zones with these things and kind of enter new, unknown, uncharted territory with where we want to take our relationships? I think that if your desire is to grow, then the growth happens outside. By definition, growth happens outside your comfort zone. Um, If you're in your comfortable bubble, then you're not growing, you're comfortable, right? So the growing is that pushing past to that area of discomfort and staying in that discomfort 
until that discomfort now becomes your comfort zone and now you've grown your comfort zone. Mm, yeah, I can totally see that. It's always been a saying, like, life happens outside your comfort zone. And I've seen that over and over again. And I think it's, like, especially after your Tantra workshop, it's really clicked. For part of me, in my experience, to be vulnerable was outside my comfort zone. But in the last week and a half or so, I've been extremely vulnerable and open with my feelings. And I just feel and pursue whatever I'm feeling in the moment. And the reception for women has been incredible. That's awesome. You yeah. figured it out. <laughs> I figured it out, right. So when guys have this fear about being vulnerable, how can they get past that and to you know, deepen their own self-knowledge and see what's possible? What I like to recommend is taking baby steps. Like if you have a fear of being vulnerable, be, make a conscious intention to be vulnerable about something small, something that's a tiny baby. You know, like don't go out and find someone and reveal your deepest, deepest truth. Start with something, you know, a little closer to the vest, something smaller, something that has less risk to it so you can practice being vulnerable. Because the way that it works is we share something and then it's either met in a positive way or in a negative way. And then very often what happens is if it's met in a positive way, we feel, oh, this is great, I'm encouraged, I'm going to share more. And if we encounter a negative way or resistance, then we tend to shut down. That's a very natural human response when it comes to relating with other people. And so you have to practice. That means that you try every approach more than just one time. I mean, you kind of have to field test what you seek by trying it in different situations and different capacities, right? Well, I'm, I'm just saying look for opportunities in every interaction. It could be as simple as, you know, you're in an elevator with someone and usually you don't talk to people in an elevator and you just say, hi, how are you today? You know, that's exactly what I've been doing lately. It's been hilarious that you mentioned that because um, what my change in intention was, was basically I told myself, I realized I feel better when I'm very social throughout the day and it puts me in a good mood to be able to connect with others. So I made that my intention that I'm going to go out in the world every after I wake up every morning, as soon as I leave my house, I'm going to try to talk with as many people as I can throughout the day. And it doesn't matter who it is. It could be an old lady in the elevator. It could be like a, a man with his kids walking in the park. And sometimes it's as simple as, how's your day going so far? And just talking and seeing how they feel. And I do this for me, but I, what I realize is that people appreciate, you know, receiving the attention <laughs> and it puts me in a good mood to see them perk up and cheer up and by default when I feel in a good mood then when I talk to attractive women who I actually feel sex appeal for and I'm like wow I wish I you know I just want to fuck her brains out <laughs> then I approach that girl and it's so much more warmer and it's so much more connected just by doing that so is that the kind of practice that you're talking about? Seems like that's certainly working for you, so... Mm, what is something that you did where, you know, in your routines and in your life that supports the same concept? Pretty much just that, just trying to um, reach out during moments where I don't want to reach out. Right. That's the discomfort. You know, when you're feeling great and you just want to talk to everybody, then you're in your comfort zone. But okay. if you're not feeling great and you're like, oh, I don't really want to be all social and stuff, you know, sometimes it's important to spend time not being social. Maybe you need time to yourself. And other times it's like, well, let me push through this discomfort and see what's on the other side, you know? So on some level, we want to be aware of the feeling in any moment, right? Like we want to see like maybe a guy that, you know, is an audience member in this podcast or a listener. He sees a girl walk down the street and part of him wants to go approach her and talk to her. But the other part of him is like, oh, but she might not like me or it might not be the right time. You know, you kind of second guess yourself in that moment. And that's not being vulnerable, right? So are you suggesting that a guy should just push past that discomfort and do it anyway and see what he actually discovers? I think it depends on what your goal is. So okay. 
I believe very much in authenticity. So it could be that when you see this woman that you feel that you might be attracted to, or that has somehow sparked your interest, or is in your visual range because you said you're seeing her, right? Mm -hmm. um, it could be that you don't want to talk to her because you have a fear of rejection. Or it could be that you don't want to talk to her because your body is saying, this one's not for me. You see what I mean? Like, how do you have to distinguish what is the reason why you're feeling the way you're feeling? If it's a genuine fear of approaching her, but you do feel a connection to her, then it's in your best interest, I think, if you want to grow and if you want to meet her, to push through that resistance and make an approach. But at the same time, if you feel like, well, you know, what's actually going on is that I'm not feeling an attraction to her. I may be interested in her because of what I'm seeing, but I'm not actually feeling an attraction to her. And so that's my body's way of saying, this one's not for you, don't waste your time here. And so you have to be astute enough to discern the difference between those two. And that, my friend, uh, is, is okay. the challenge. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And it's funny that you bring that up because the second thing I wanted to talk to you about in this session is how to be congruent with our desires. And this is, I think, a perfect foray into that. Because on one side, your mind is telling you something, but then your body is telling you something else. And there's that kind of incongruency there, right? Well, it's possible. If your goal is like, look, I really want to learn how to approach women, then from a mathematical perspective, it's in your interest to approach every woman regardless of your interest level because then you just get more practice. Right. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, I'm going to go to the gym every day, three times a day because I want to get into good shape or saying, well, I'm only going to go to the gym when I feel like it. Okay, so that's <laughs> probably not the best analogy because going to the gym is a practice and if you're approaching that as a practice, you're going to go all the time whether you feel like it or not. So if you're approaching the idea of meeting women as a practice, then you should be doing it all the time because your goal is to get knowledge and to learn and to grow. And having that awareness of when you feel an attraction to a woman that you're approaching and when you don't feel an attraction is certainly very helpful for you when you're making these approaches. But I'd say that if your goal is just to live authentically and meet someone that you feel that you're attracted to, then why would you approach someone that you're not attracted to? And if that's your goal, then learning to discern what that feeling of resistance really is, you know, digging deeper underneath that resistance to see what is the real thing going on here, then that is what best serves you. See, I'm seeing a really strong theme here. And the common theme in everything you just said is that we have to inquire deep within and kind of dig into ourselves, be a little bit introspective in order to discover these things. If that's your goal, you know. If you're like, hey, I want to practice a few new lines and some dialogue, then you want to approach as many people as you can so you can see, okay, this works or it doesn't. Okay. So now in our last podcast, um, in our last session, rather, we talked about the difference between preference versus desire. And so on one hand, we have a preference to, like, say, approach several women a day, but that's not actually our desire, right, in our body. Or it may be the opposite, right? Well, when I talk about, like, you know, your preferences or your desires, it's like when you ask people, you know, what are the ideal things that you want in a mate? And they give you their list, right? So there's the list of what you want, and then there's actual attraction, which you don't control. Right, right. And I find that, you know, it's, it's not very often that you're attracted to someone that has everything that's on your list. You don't control who you're attracted to. I believe that's biological. I don't think that's something that we control. Right. So then you just have to listen to your body. Listen to your body, listen to your mind, and see, you know, if you feel a desire, say, to approach a beautiful woman walking down the street and your body wants to move towards her, but your mind might be telling you, you know, it might not be appropriate. What you're saying is basically just go do it and find out. Well, I'm not saying break any rules. 
um, and, <laughs> no, no, no. We're not and about get arrested rules, or anything and be totally inappropriate. <laughs> but yeah, you should follow your desire. If you feel an attraction towards a woman, there is a reason why you're being drawn towards that woman. You know, we've all heard stories about men that have found their life partner. And they say that, you know, when I met her, I knew immediately that we would be married. Right? They felt an attraction so strong that even people that are shy, they'll tell you that they felt an attraction so strong that they instantly overcame their shyness because they were like, this is it. And they tell you these amazing, remarkable stories, right? Yeah. You know the stories that I'm talking about, how they did something crazy or they, they just totally met someone on the street and was like, no, you have to stop here and talk to me because this is what's supposed to happen. And, you know, and when that attraction is there and you act on it, it's very compelling. I was watching a movie recently called Hacksaw Ridge. And the main character in that movie meets his future wife exactly in that way. He was at a hospital taking care of his brother who was, or not his brother, someone else in the town who was incredibly wounded. And he just saw this beautiful woman in this, in this hospital, a nurse working. And for whatever reason, he went up to her and basically feigned an injury so that he could have an opportunity to talk to her. And not to get too deep into the movie, but it's really beautiful to see, like, what I saw in that movie and in this character was just how strong his desire was for the nurse. And he just dropped all pretenses, all shame, and just went straight for it and attracted her. He was like, you know, I want you. I know I want you. And this is what's in my heart, and I'm going to get you. And I think women sometimes don't really acknowledge this like openly, but that is what they secretly want, right, is to feel that desire, to feel like in the face of all resistance, in the face of all strange odds, there is this man who just wants me. Would you agree or disagree? Oh, I think desire is certainly a powerful... Who would not want to feel desired intensely by their partner? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, it feels course, a little contrived to purposely hurt yourself to get, but you know, maybe that can be endearing. I don't know. I mean, I didn't see the movie, but I would think you wouldn't have to go through something like that. Because I think that when there is attraction, I think both people can feel it. So if there's a really intense attraction and you're persistent in your approach, you know, I don't believe that the other person can really say no because they're going to feel that attraction too. And, and like you said, you know, being in a situation where you feel an intense desire coming from somebody else, that's compelling. It's like, wow, this yeah. person really wants to get to know me. And then that's going to make you get in touch with your own desire. Mm. Do you think that we sometimes shield away our desires because we're kind of scared of them? I think that we are trained with expert resiliency in at least this country that when we grow up, that our desires are wrong and that many of our desires are shamed and that we should not follow our desires. Desires are the devil. There's so much social conditioning telling us to ignore our desires, not to follow them. They're bad. They're going to lead to evil or, you know, whatever. We put out a lot of negativity on desires. And what ends up happening is that we start to stuff away our desires. And then when you start to stuff away your desires long enough, you just kind of lose touch with them. And then you don't even know what you desire anymore because you just so reflexively have short-circuited them out of the realm of what you're doing. I think that is so true. I noticed that for the longest time, I did exactly that. And that was one of the reasons why I was so disconnected both from myself and also from the woman around me a couple of years ago. I didn't even realize what was going on because I just wasn't aware. But one thing I'd like to ask you then is, is the exact opposite. You know, we know this condition exists and we're trained in this way. So what kind of practices can we adopt to kind of get in touch with that desire again if it's been put away and, you know, on the side? Well... This is what I would do. I would start by doing an excavation of sitting down every day and just listing some desires that you have. You know, open up a dialogue with your desire and start to list them out. So maybe every okay. morning you write 10 desires for that day. 
And then eventually you write 10 desires for the week or for the month or for your life or for your career, for your love, and get into the practice of inviting your inner self to speak its desires and saying, you know, if you speak your desires, I'll write them down. I will capture them. I will listen to them. So if you have this thought, you know, let's say a woman or a man wants to try a polyamorous relationship, but, you know, in social conditioning, that's not really acceptable. So would you say, like, to write down the desire, like, at some point in the future, either today or this week, I would like to try being with someone else, at least intimately, if not sexually, and see how that feels? I think for any desire, I'm, I'm a little bit confused that you threw in polyamory there, because I'm just kind of looking at this as a big picture. I would say for any desire, just write down, I desire blank, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, I think maybe I got ahead of the curve there, <laughs> getting into too deep a concept. So let's say today I desire ice cream. Yeah, I desire yeah. ice cream. Great one. <laughs> nice. And just go and do it. And even then I would even say get more specific. I desire two scoops of chocolate ice cream with chocolate sprinkles and some hot fudge. It's a practice that you can develop. Right. And what you're getting at then is the more specific we can be with our desires, the more congruent then we can also be with our desires, right? And at least writing down our desires. The distinction between just saying, I want ice cream versus I want ice cream with mint chocolate chips in a waffle cone and one or two scoops. I'm down with that. Sounds like a great, <laughs> great desire. Yeah. You know, as you develop a relationship with your desire, that's going to deepen as it gets more specific. Hmm. Okay. Now, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, the notion of being comfortable with your desire and also with the type of relationship that you have with the present moment. I see a lot of times with guys that they have this fear of missing out on doing certain things. I used to be that way, actually. And uh, some women do, too. Rather than kind of focusing on what we have in the present moment, we sometimes wish we had something else in the present moment. Or you're looking um, at what other people have that they're posting on their Facebook or their Instagram. And then you're not, you're not where <laughs> you're at. could be like that. And actually, this stemmed from a comment that we talked about in our last session, which was that some guys try to make every woman a princess relationship which could be a problem for them when maybe that's not the kind of relationship that it's suited for, right? What do you mean? Let's say that you're in a monogamous relationship right now, and you're happy in the relationship, but there's also a desire at some point in your life to want to try a different kind of relationship in monogamy. Do you think that we should listen to the desire, or we should continue to enjoy what we have in the now while knowing that at some point in the future, when we're unhappy or when we want something different, then we can actually pursue the latter path. Well, I would say a couple of things. First of all, I think it's always very important to listen to your desire. Um, okay. And at minimum, listen to it and write it down and acknowledge it, even if it's not something that you're going to pursue. But number two, in the scenario that you describe, I don't see there being anything wrong with that. You know, so you're in a relationship and then you have a desire to experience something else. I think it's important to know again, what is the root of that desire? Is it that I'm unhappy with my relationship and I'm trying to escape my relationship by trying to pursue some sort of relations with somebody else? Or is it that I feel like this is naturally a part of who I am, is that I'm going to want to be non-monogamous and that that's authentically who I am? And I'm actually very happy with this relationship. I don't want to change anything with this relationship but I want to explore other things, either sexually or emotionally or whatever it is. So first you have to understand what is that desire really about? And if it's an authentic, first of all, if it's a desire to be with somebody else as a way to escape your relationship, then I think it would make better sense to deal with the issues in your relationship and resolve those or choose to end the relationship and then move on. That makes perfect sense, right? 
But if you're happy with your relationship and it's monogamous and you have a desire to explore opening up your relationship, then you should have an honest conversation with your partner and tell them that you've been having this desire and you don't know when it's going to be or if it's going to be. But, you know, that that's a conversation that you're hoping you can open a dialogue about. Oh, it just clicked to me. So everything comes back to authenticity. <laughs> that's what you basically describe, right? Like you were saying in the second scenario, to be authentic with your desire and to express it to your partner that I'm happy here, but I also have this desire to explore something else. Or if there's a reason to that you feel that you're trying to escape from your own relationship, then you have to be authentic with yourself that that is exactly what you're trying to do. And we have to deal with those issues first. Yeah. What is that real desire? So we have a desire and then there is an action that we take in order to try to get that desire. So I used, I used to write screenplays, right? So you have a character, right. the character has an objective, right? That's the thing that they want. Now, they often will take actions to try to obtain the thing that they want. So you could have a desire to exit your relationship. And so one action that you might take is to pursue a relationship with somebody else. But if your desire is to exit the relationship, wouldn't it make more sense to have the action that you take be to have a conversation with your partner and, and express your dissatisfaction or why you have this desire and then figure out what you want to do from there? Like, mm, Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm completely on board with that. I think it makes perfect sense. It just feels kind of more straightforward. Now, the trouble that we get into is that, uh, you know, let's say you do want to be polyamorous. Well, maybe you've been in a marriage for 20 years and it's you know, this is very common and it's been sexless for a long time and there's been resentments piled up on top of resentments and miscommunications and, you know, somehow you found yourself in this relationship and you're unhappy with it. You know, that might be a situation that's a lot more intricate and complicated where you can't just go to your partner and say, hey, I have a desire to open our relationship. You know, there's every relationship is unique and different and in a different place. You know what I mean? So the key then is to kind of work together and figure it out, both by both partners being authentic with themselves and also kind of assessing the troubles that are causing the lack of authenticity and the lack of happiness, right? Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty commonsensical to me. I didn't make that up. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a lot of times, actually, in the last couple of months, in the last, you know, last year or so, a lot of couples who have had tense relationships with each other, but they have come together in profound ways just by talking about their problems. And they find this renowned love for each other just because rather than being closed off and being fearful of expressing their desires and being authentic, they actually chose to risk it all and just be open. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you a story. I have a client that has been married for some time and with child. And every time that I speak with him, he's always expressing a desire to explore other women. He feels like that's something he never really had an opportunity for in his life. He got married very young, and he's always wanted that. Now, recently, he discovered that his wife, remember, they have a child together that they're very involved in raising. He discovered that his wife had cheated on him and had an extramarital affair. And so right. his immediate response was like, I need to get a lawyer, and I need to figure out what's going to happen and who's going to be with the kids and whatever. And I said, well, you could do that. But let's slow down for a minute. Yes, it's true that you were in uh, what I call monogamy by default relationship, right? You got married, you followed the rules of monogamy, the way society ascribes them, you know, the relationship that you have. And she violated that agreement by having an extramarital affair, right? That's everybody would agree with that. If we had all of America put a vote, everybody would say, yes, she slept with someone else. She violated the monogamous implied agreement of that relationship. However, right. you want to see other women. 
and you love your wife and you want to stay together and raise this child together, right? Because he, he does right, love right. her and, and he wants to raise this child together with her. So I said, rather than jump to the next step being divorce, why not find a better solution? Why don't you find a way where you can, uh, and this is a concept that's referred to as social monogamy, find a way where you pair up with her in order to raise your child and you love her and you have this home, you create a stable home for your child. And then you make an agreement that you're going to be able to have other partners when you want them. You know, you find some sort of way to make that an agreement and make that part of your relationship instead of have it being the thing that breaks the relationship. And then you lose the raising your kid together part and giving your kid a stable home. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that this story, one thing that clicks to me right now, that your client early on expressed that he basically wanted to open his relationship, but he was afraid of that. And then the wife, it seems, also had that expression, and she actually pursued it, right? So on some level, both partners wanted to be with someone else, and they both have this shared common interest in raising a child together and also having that family framework. So it makes totally sense, right? Like, why not just pursue that and acknowledge that that is your desire and that is your authenticity in that moment? And what you just described is becoming more and more common these days and more and more accepted because people want to be able to have a life and raise a kid, but then also fulfill their other needs. And I don't know if you've looked around, but traditional monogamy is falling apart. More marriages end up in, what is it, like 53% of marriages end up in divorce? That's a I mean, staggering that's failure. Like, <laughs> That means that the traditional concept of marriage wouldn't pass if it were a bill in the House or in the Senate. 53% of marriages end in divorce. That is not a blip on the radar. That is something that is endemic to the way that people are currently evolving. I mean, we're talking about millions of people here, so that's like huge. And that's a lot of broken homes. That's a lot of children growing up without role models. So if this system is changing, if the traditional idea of of sexual monogamy is breaking down, you know, why are we throwing out the family with that breakdown when we could be just adapting to it? Nobody's sitting there choosing, hey, you know, we want to change the way everything works. It's, you know, the world evolves and we either adapt to it, you know, like a flexible branch or we snap like a twig if we're too rigid. And too many people are like, oh, this thing happened. We're getting a divorce and then the lawyers are going to make a shit ton of money. The kids are going to grow up without a fa- Like, it's just awful. So let's find a way to reconstruct the relationship so that it serves what people actually want instead of trying to fit it into a box that, you know, is hundreds of years old, or actually even millennia old, if you start to go way back in time. Let's just adapt it to something that works for the times. Right. And this also requires us to look deep within and discover our own authenticity with our desire. One of the concepts that I teach is that when you have a relation where you're beginning a relationship, you should at the very least have an intention for that relationship. What is the reason why we are forming this relationship? Is it because we want to have marriage and kids? Is it because we're really attracted to each other and we want to have a lot of sex? Is it because we want to learn and grow and we feel like this is somebody that is the right person for us to be with on this leg of our journey? You know, when people meet, they kind of know what their connection is all about. And so my thing is, rather than try to have, you know, the one-size-fits-all relationship, figure out what it is that's your connection to this person that you want to have a relationship with. Set an intention for that relationship and then design a relationship rules based around what it is that you both want. So if we go back to my client friend, like he wanted to go out with other women. She clearly wanted to go out with other men because she did that. So, you know, 
let's not break apart this family. Let's just say, okay, let's make an amendment, right? Let's make an amendment to the constitution of our marriage that allows us to have these things that we want. And let's be very clear about how we're going to have them. And you know, we're going to keep things safe. And what is our new agreement around that going to be? And let's create that consciously, which is a lot more difficult to do than to just blindly accept the relationship rules that society's had out there for millennia. That's a lot easier to accept. We know what those rules are, right? But this path is far more rewarding, and you ultimately get what you really want. <laughs> but it requires work, and it requires connecting with who you are. And, and some people honestly are just not, you know, not willing to do that work, and they're happy with the way things are, and that's okay too. I'm not bashing it any which way, which is why, like in the beginning, you know, when you asked that question, I was like, well, it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is like, look, I want to fully express myself. I want to live an authentic life and I want to get in touch with my desires. And, and I want to walk around, like you said, with that warm feeling and share my love and my desire with everyone. You know, then this is a, a path that would take you to those places. If you're like, look, you know, I, I have a marriage and, you know, we don't really have very much sex, but I'm OK with it. And I love my spouse and we raise our kids and, you know, and on the overall, I'm happy and sure, I'd love to have, you know, much better sex, but I'm happy with the way things are. Then you're happy with the way things are. Then you don't need to change anything. You know, it's your choice. <laughs> That's awesome. So I usually, uh, I usually give our listeners a homework assignment to go try out after every podcast. And I wanted to know what you might recommend in the next week or so that our listeners can go seek and search or try out just to connect more with their desire and their own authenticity. Well, so I will say this. I actually really like the one that you invented on this call, which is that you said that you woke up every morning and you uh, set an intention to, what was it, to exude love? To exude love, that's right. Right. Or was it towards women specifically? What was the intention? So my intention was just to get out of my own head. And I discovered this, that if I exude love, and if I just talk to everybody around me in any moment and just be social, then I get out of my own head, and I can exude love in a higher capacity. So that was my intention. If I find myself with people and around people, I will just start talking and ask about them, but I will do it while exuding love. Okay, so then that sounds really great. So then that would be the homework assignment that I would give to your viewers. All right, well, there you go, guys. <laughs> go try that, and you know, I'm actually gonna be writing an article about this personally, we'll be posting on Girls Chase, so look out for that. But Daka Guy, Man, uh, I've learned so much from you, and it's been such an honor to have you again on the podcast. Remind me again where we can go seek coaching from you. You can go to my website at dakaguy.com and find out a lot more information about my coaching and some upcoming workshops, just like the one that you attended, which we'll be doing again. I think the next workshop is June 13th, Tuesday, June 13th in New York. You can find the information on my website, and hopefully we'll see you there as well, Varun. I, I really enjoyed having you in the room, and I could feel your presence. So thank you for coming and contributing who you are and for inviting me for this interview. Thank you so much for your time. I mean, I'll be sure to be there because I learned so much. And uh, I'm really excited, so excited, like you have no idea, just to see exactly where this is going to go and take me in my journey in life and love and women. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. All right, y'all, there it is. Daka Guy, a New York City-based advanced certified Tantra educator in a wide range of modalities of touch and sensuality. He offers Tantra sessions in New York and around the world, teaching workshops on relationships, polarity, and various sensuality practices while expanding couples to greater intimacy and guidance on open relationships. 
When I interviewed him both times, we discussed what authenticity really means, how to set intentions, how people confuse desire and preference, and how we can explore different kinds of relationship containers. I hope you've had fun listening today, and I hope you've learned something in this fantastic interview with Daka Guy, a Tantra, relationships, and lifestyle coach in New York City. For now, this is Varun Raja on Dating Mechanics by Girls Chase. And I'll see you again next time, same time, same place. Thank you.